So today we're interviewing Alex Reinhardt. Hi there, Alex, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely no problem. It's what ZineQuest is all about. Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? Absolutely. Uh, like you said, my name is Alex Reinhardt, and I run a Discord where every month I run a different RPG, usually an indie game. Uh, I run it as a one-shot for strangers as a way to introduce people to different games. And occasionally I also make games, which is what I'm here to talk about today. Well, before we get to that, I just want to say thank you very much for all of that work you do in promoting indie games. That's so kind, so fantastic, and a really valuable resource. Uh, do you want to tell people where we can find that Discord server so that they can have a look at it later? Yes, uh, that Discord is called The Heartland, and there's a link to that in my pinned tweet. Uh, I'm sure you'll have my Twitter in the episode notes. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So, yeah, I mentioned there that you were you were a game designer, a game writer, and you've got a project coming up for Kickstarter. Do you want to give us a bit of an elevator pitch for what your zine is going to be? That's right. Uh, so I've released a couple small games on Itch, and... Uh, for Zine Quest this year, I'll be releasing Gratitude, a horror game, which is my second kickstarted RPG. So Gratitude, a horror game, is a game about losing everything. It's really a game about being grateful for what you have. I like to describe it as cosmic horror without Cthulhu or dread without Jenga. Uh, I mean, it's a really dark game. It's a game about body horror as an economy. But the reason it's so dark is to kind of contrast, you know, how how great everyday life is, you know, the things we forget to think about that we take for granted. Sure, absolutely. And I think that mood is so important. You know, it's uh, especially important at the moment. We've got this we've got this global pandemic going on and people are uh, to some extent quite grateful for what they have um, in their own lives. Fantastic. Do you want to give us a, a, a few hints as to what kind of stories it supports? The game is about desperate people trying to escape from a terrible place. And one of the best rewards someone has ever gotten is they live as a tax consultant in the middle of Nebraska, just <laughs> living an absolutely boring life that they view with such thankfulness. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. What a, what a, what a rad way to end the story. Um, so you're talking about it being cosmic horror slash body horror. Do you want to give us some information about what kind of setting it looks at. Yes, absolutely. The gratitude takes place on a world where testosterone is lethal. Uh, it's poisonous. So what, what happened is, you know, all of the male creatures died, but a bunch of very smart women stepped in and solved the problem of, you know, the species dying out. But there's not really a concept of being male. So what's really neat is that in playtesting, you have characters who kind of examine, you know, what, what does my masculinity mean to me? Or what does a complete lack of that? You know, what is a world where people aren't overly manly or macho look like? But the actual story that we're telling is about trying to, like I said, escape from a terrible place. And, and it's about what am I willing to sacrifice for that? So you're, you're basically trying to ingratiate yourself with these different factions and the way people approach that is really interesting because each of these factions want different things that force you to examine what you're willing to sacrifice like i had a play test where someone wasn't willing to lose their left hand but they would absolutely sacrifice the skin covering their throat for some information 
yeah i totally see what you mean now by like body horror as an economy and um cosmic horror as well that's definitely the kind of mood that you're hitting there um you're mentioning factions and you're mentioning characters do you, do you maybe want to tell us what what one or the other of those two things might look like in this game one of the factions that we have is the gray folk who basically they gave up their ability to see color or or their eyesight in general um i know you you had a game about about temporary hearing loss that game directly wasn't an inspiration but when when you talk about that game i thought you know, that's not something we think about. That's not something that we talk about or that we have games about. You know, when you walk away from, from something like that, you think, wow, I'm so glad that I, that I can hear right now. Yeah, that's right. That's my game, A Loud Noise in a Quiet Place, which I talked about on the podcast uh, a few days ago. And that's a, definitely a game where the intent by the end of the game is for you to have reflected on, like, what you do appreciate and what you do experience day to day and how you might experience the world differently if that shift of senses suddenly switched. That's exactly right. That's the kind of feeling I want every game to end on. Like, it's such a dark game because you have to have that contrast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the contrast is is certainly what we're, what we're looking at with A Loud Nose in a Quiet Place as well, because that's going from one stasis, and it's neither one thing nor the other, you know, it's neither full hearing and it's neither full hearing loss. It's this kind of liminal intermediate space. So kind of the question that we ask next is like, we, we know what stories it tells, we know what the setting looks like, but um, what is it that characters and players actually do during play? Basically, your goal is to find someone powerful enough to let you go somewhere else. So there's these overseers who kind of manage the world, if you will. They have prophets who think that they know them. You have this group of hackers, the world breakers who can modify the source code of reality. The structure of play is that you start out usually with a hint where you say, okay, there's a prophet in this location, or there's a world breaker who is building a ship out of here, or there's someone who thinks they have a way out. Let's find this person, find out what they want, and then bring it to them. So it's, it's really meant for one shot play where you have a very simple quest structure. Yeah, absolutely. So the mood is find a person, follow the quest that they do, get off the planet, right? And I want to stress, there is a lot of levity in this game, too. You know, it's so easy to make a game that's just grim and sad and angry. <laughs> yeah, naming no names. Cough, Morkborg, cough, cough. <laughs> yes, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, not to, um, not to be down on that or anything, you know, there's a time and a place for uh, dark horror like that. No, I mean, there's a time and a place for it. I mean, you can look at the success of Warhammer or your Morkborgs, you know, all of that. But I didn't want to get mired in that. So one of the unique things we have is there's 30 foot tall, there's there's almost 10 meter golden retrievers that are wandering around that are the prized pets of of the overseers of these of these beings. And you can't harm these dogs. I want to be very clear. There's no harming dogs in sure, this game. Sure, sure, sure. But I guess the real question is then, can you pet the dog? You can. You can pet the dog and you might have to. Um, the mission that comes with the book is about trying to give one of these a bath. They're <laughs> giant happy dogs that have no idea how big they are. Right. Okay. So it's kind of, I suppose, what would happen if Clifford the Big Red Dog was viewed through a body horror lens? I mean, is, is that where we're going with this? Maybe that's the elevator pitch that we should have gone with. Okay. So, like, we've looked at settings and characters and stuff, um, and we know more or less what we're supposed to be doing. Can we talk for a minute about the mechanics of play? Like, 
um, what does that look like? Where does it come from? Is it is it simple, complex? Um, one of the big inspirations here was looking at something as simple as Dread, where you just have the big Jenga tower. Right. The dice mechanics are really simple. You have a large D6 in the middle of the table, and that's your fear die. Every time you try to attempt a task, you roll a D6 and try to get higher than the fear die. If you succeed, then congrats, you did the thing, and the fear die goes up one. So we have this tension building out. Right. If you fail, you take damage equal to the number shown. If you die, the fear die resets to one. And I want to be very clear, death is not permanent here. Death is you sacrifice something. You lose your ability to see in color or to hear or or you lose something important to you and you come back. Or you can choose to stay dead, in which case you become a ghost and you're sort of haunting the rest of your party. They have to fight your corpse. It's an extra step here. It's always a choice. You can never die against your will and death is not the end. That's not the story I wanted to tell. Yeah, I have such a lot of respect for the games where death is an option rather than a mechanical certainty and rather than a, definitely something that comes out of the mechanics and not the fiction. Yeah, if you if you choose to stay dead, then you get dice that you can choose to either roll to assist your party or to play against them. You you sort of become an extra narrative element. Hey, that's really cool. Just just to double check, this is a this is a GM'd game, right? Yes, uh, this is this is a GM'd game. Yeah, I mean, I have such a lot of respect then for the game that makes the choice to let players opt to die and then still gives them a role at the end of it because it lets you play with death as a kind of mechanic in itself, as a kind of extra mechanical narrative layer. So yeah, I like that a lot. That sounds cool. No, it's just, it's such a simple game. I think it's really lovely to have, especially in a horror game, mechanics that are simple enough to aid the tension without being complex enough to get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that tension is the most important thing when you're playing a horror mood game. Um, you need something like the Jenga Tower, which I'm terrible at because I have shaky fingers, or, you know, the, these other kind of tension mechanics, like in, I don't know, Call of Cthulhu as well has this sort of thing. It's been really fun to play test as people people do get get tenser as it gets to four or five or six. Yeah, absolutely, and I would as well. You know, that's really interesting, and it's a really very very simple way to build up that tension. So, yeah, kudos to you. Do you want to give us some details about the Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, the Kickstarter will run for two weeks, starting on February twentieth. We will have five dollars for the PDF tier and ten dollars for the physical. $2 shipping anywhere in the world, uh, including the UK. Uh, and at some of our higher levels, uh, you can actually have, I will run a virtual game for you, or we'll be making copies with gold foil, uh, but those will be very limited in number. We're really looking just to fund a small print run, but if we get enough backers, we have one stretch goal to add one more class to the game that's been kind of kicking around in me and my, my co-creators' heads. Oh, do you want to tell us who those co-creators are? Yes, uh, I'm working with a woman named Rachel Bennett. Uh, she does the layout and helps refine the ideas. I worked with her on my previous Kickstarter game, Solipstree, uh, back about five years ago. Okay, cool. Well, Solipstree is a cool game that I encourage everybody to go and check out. But also, everybody should go and check out Gratitude, a horror game. And um, that sounds like a very, very cool game, and especially like the simple mechanics and the interesting narrative and all of the all of the ways that all of that ought to come together. So. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And also like a cheap and accessible zine that will be fun to play. So kudos. Yeah. Alex, do you want to tell us where we can find you online? I am on Twitter at at 
Alex Reinhardt underscore. Reinhardt is R-I-N-E-H-A-R-T. And on there, you'll find links to my itch as well as my Discord. Yeah. Do you want to just remind us again about um, the name of that Discord server? The Heartland, yes. Fantastic. Well, the Heartland sounds like a great place to hang out. So I encourage everybody to go and check that out and maybe join in the fun. Yes. And if you have a game you want me to run there, just drop in and suggest it. I'm always looking to run new systems. Fantastic. Well, once again, thank you for all of that hard work, getting people excited about new indie games. It's so important and so validating for the scene. So yeah, big kudos to you. And I guess all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for coming on Yes Indeed Pod and fantastically good luck with your Kickstarter campaign. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. Yes Indeed Pod is hosted and edited by Mark Shepard of Marks of High Water. You can contact the show on Twitter at Yes Indeed Pod, that's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D, or support the show by leaving a rating or review, or donating through Ko-Fi at Yes Indeed Pod. Intro and outro music is from Take a Chance, and interstitial music is from BitQuest, both by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com and Filmmusic.io. Until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed. Indeed.